Hey, welcome to Prayer House Online. It's such a joy to connect with you online. Uh, my name is Forchi and I'm part of the team at Prayer House in Weymouth. Um, if you are here for the first time, a special welcome to you. If you are here every week and joining us online and listening to our online content, welcome back. It's great to have you with us. This week, we are continuing our Kingdom Culture series and we have Kira who is sharing with us about surrender. Hey, before we get into that, can I just tell you something about baptisms? We are so excited to say that our baptism service for this year is going to be on the 17th of September. That's 17th of September, our baptism service. So if you have been thinking about baptisms recently, or you'd just like to talk to someone about getting baptized, please would you get in touch with us. We'd love to speak to you about this and help you take that next step in your journey with Jesus. Whether you just want to say hi or maybe you have a question you want to ask, you can do that by following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram and sending us a direct message there. Or you can also email connect at prayerhouse.uk. That's connect at prayerhouse.uk and we will get in touch with you. So why don't we pray as we dive into this word by Kira from one of our Sunday meetings. We've been talking about kingdom culture. We've been looking at the early church in the book of Acts. And we've been digging into so many beautiful truths. So Father, even as we spend this time together listening to Kira, we pray that you would speak to us, you'd inspire us. And I pray for every single person listening, Lord, that you would touch them today, that you would bless them today. And Lord, that this time that they tune in to your word will be such a transformative time. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. So we've been talking about what? Kingdom culture. Kingdom culture. Paul says he wants to talk about this for the next six years. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so I'm continuing with that. We've been talking. We've been kind of going through what life was like for the church as it's written down in the book of Acts, which is a document somebody wrote, a doctor wrote, to um, tell what life was like for the apostles after Jesus went back to heaven after he died and he rose again. He commissioned the apostles to be his disciples and to spread the gospel, the news of what God is doing and his kingdom coming um, across the ends of the earth. So he commissioned them to say to tell people and to um, bring about, to continue expanding his kingdom on the earth until he comes again. Um, so that's what we've been going through. Um, we've been talking about what is this kingdom exactly and how is it different from the culture that we find ourselves in now. Um, so the aspect of that that I'm going to talk about today, because there are many ways in which it's different, but the aspect that I'm going to talk about today is um, a, a culture we sang today about, the first song we sang today, if you missed it, was about surrendering. And so today I'm going to talk about surrender and laying ourselves down. So the world's culture right now, and it's like maybe even more so explicitly than when I was a kid or when my mom was a kid than it has been probably in recent history. It's very explicitly um, like the self, like the individual self is God, right? Like 
the self is the most important. And everything seems to be kind of like all the messaging of society, of the culture that we live in is that basically you, like the self is most important. And that whatever you think is true is true. At least it's true for you. And other people have to be respectful of that. And something that we all need to be doing more of is looking after ourselves and self-care. And it's just a lot about the individual right now, isn't it? Um, so that's the culture that we're in. It's very self-promoting, but also just self, like right now, because everything's kind of, we're kind of in a weird space of time where actually across the board, we're a lot, as a culture, I think we're a lot richer than we have been in like my grandparents' age, like my grandparents' generation. Wouldn't you say that's true? Like as a society, we're actually doing a lot better, but people are really anxious and really fearful about surviving, basically, making it work. I mean, to the extent that they're like, so desperate that some people are dispatching themselves because they can't live under the pressure of it, of just surviving. So we're kind of, the, the society's a bit stuck in a place where like self is God and self is most important and self is in some ways most reliable and yet self is not enough actually. Um, so the culture of the kingdom is that self is not God. Yeah. God is God. And the life that Jesus has called us to and that he himself modeled is one of self-denial, which nobody likes to talk that much about anymore. But Jesus said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, if anybody wants to follow after me, basically, and do what I'm doing, because that's what a disciple does. A disciple is somebody who learns from a master, from a teacher, and does what they're doing. So Jesus says, if you want to be with me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be like me, you have to deny yourself every day and pick up your cross and follow me. Your cross being this implement of death. So you basically, you need to die to yourself every day if you want to be like me. That is what I'm doing right now, Jesus is saying. So if you want to be like this, that's the cost. Um, and of course, Jesus isn't talking about an actual death because you can't die every day, actually. You can only die once, thankfully. Only have to go through that once. Um, but Jesus is talking about um, putting to death what is, we're going to call the natural man, or what is maybe, if, you, if we, we talk about the flesh in the churches, if it's obvious to everybody what that is, but it's not necessarily. We'll talk about maybe like the animal self, like the natural self that's unspiritual, that's just instinctual, right? So Jesus says that, that person, that person that's plagued by sin and ruled by sin and their own impulses and their own desires and their own self, that person has to die every day. And so we're talking today about surrendering and making more space for God. That's what we sang about this morning is, I'm going to make room for you to do whatever you want to do. So um, 
it, what's interesting is in the Bible that if you read it a lot, you'll notice that there are some things that appear to contradict each other. Like Jesus says this, but then he also says this. And how do those things fit together? And which is true? And the answer is they're both true, but they create this kind of weird tension that we have to live in. And it's not formulaic. It's something that you have to work out every day with the Holy Spirit humbly. That's what the Bible says. There's not a formula. It's not like you do X, Y, Z, and then you're in. Like you get the blessings of God, you get heaven, you get whatever people are hoping to get when they follow Jesus. It's not like that. It's not formulaic. It has to be worked out in relationship with him because if you could just do X, Y, and Z, you could do it by yourself. And everything is rigged so that you have to be in relationship with God because that's what he wants. So the tension that we're going to talk about today is that Jesus died so that we could be free. And in Hebrews, it says that Jesus died, that he took on flesh like us because he was this eternal being that existed in some form that it's like the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and to forever. So Jesus existed forever, but at some point he took on our limitations as human beings when he came and was born as a human being, right? And he did that, and he shared in our experiences, and he died a death so that, Hebrew says, so that those who were slaves to the fear of death all their lives could be set free. Hebrews says that in um, chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, that Jesus came and he died. He partook of death, like the eternal God partook of the experience of death. We know that he, he did that to satisfy the justice of God because, because we've sinned and somebody's got to be punished for sin. And the punishment for sin, because it's so grotesquely opposed to the love of God and has destroyed everything and caused such horrific pain and destruction in God's perfect world that he loves. The punishment of that is death. Somebody has to die for that. So Jesus did it, but the Bible says that he did it and, and that a consequence of that is that people who are living all their life afraid of death can be set free from the fear of death. And you see this at work in the apostles in the early church where, where Paul was talking last week about boldness and praying for boldness. And you have this, you know, amazing kind of shift with the apostles where, you know, before Jesus died, Peter's denying him. Why? Any answers? Afraid of what? Yeah, afraid of partaking in that, afraid of dying. And then Jesus dies, He gets, and the Holy Spirit comes. Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Something inside him radically changes to where Peter gets arrested, and he gets severely warned, and then he gets, like, miraculously set free from prison, he goes immediately back out to do the thing that they said, don't do it. So something 
amazing has happened with Peter where he's had this, he's, a, a, a transaction has happened inside him where he's, he's set free from the fear of death. And it's allowing the spirit of God to move in a powerful way and to actually, um, for the kingdom of God to expand. Right? We're all following that? Okay. So, Jesus came to set us free. And another thing Jesus says is that when he's talking to the disciples or the apostles, is he says that, um, I don't call you guys slaves because slaves don't know what their master's doing. But I call you my friends because I'm letting you in on what's going on here. So Jesus says that he came to set us free. He says that he doesn't call us slaves. He calls us friends. And the New Testament talks over and over in many different places about how we are free. And that that is that Jesus died for our freedom, that anybody who is in Jesus is whom the Son sets free is free. So we have freedom. Jesus has said over and over again, this is, this is such a big part of the diamond, the multifaceted diamond that is the gospel of reasons why Jesus came. But Paul says, that he, when he introduces himself, he introduces himself as a slave. So we have Paul, who was not one of the original 12 disciples that followed Jesus around. He was Saul originally. That's what his parents named him. So there's a man named Saul, and he was like this bright young thing, like best student in the class, came from this nice family, you know, good kind of pedigree of background, you know, like the, the type of family that's like been Christians, not Christians, they weren't Christians, they were Jews, but like generations of church, you know those people who is like their grandfather was a pastor and their great-grandfather was a pastor, like he is like from this amazing pedigree of a family, super Jews basically, and he refers to himself as that more or less. He says, like, I had a lot of things going for me. I was doing really well in school. I was moving up through the ranks. My career was taking off. He was like um, part of the, he was a student of Judaism, but in that culture, like, they didn't have the separation of church and state that we have in America. There, It was all kind of mixed together. So um, the the kind of, little ruling class of Jews, um, they had to study the Torah a lot, and they had to, it was like all kind of conflated, because there was like the law of God that God gave them, but then there was all this extra stuff that they were adding to it. So it was just, it was just becoming this thing that God never intended it to be, but in that system that humans kind of more or less perverted from God. By adding to it. Paul was moving up through the ranks and he was doing quite well, Saul. And he was getting promoted. And simultaneously, the apostles are starting to talk about Jesus. This is after Jesus has gone back. They're talking about Jesus. They're spreading the gospel. And it's drawing, like these Jews are kind of stepping away from 
what has become this like, I'm going to say gross perversion of Judaism. I think that's fair. It's not what God originally handed down to Moses. It was something that had become distorted. They were stepping away from this kind of man-made, man-hijacked system, and they were following Jesus. And that just could not be tolerated by the Jewish ruling class. So they had this very zealous, very passionate, very smart, very clever um, young guy named Saul who was like, listen, I can put a stop to this Jesus thing if you just write me letters and give me enough resources, I think we can squash it. So as if the Christians didn't have enough, the followers of Jesus will say that. They weren't necessarily, they weren't calling themselves Christians at this time. But if the followers of Jesus didn't have enough from, you know, Rome and every, everyone else, um, Paul was like, we're going we're gonna to knock this on the head. So he was going around arresting people and throwing them in jail. Who knows? I think it was pretty violent. I, the Bible doesn't write all the little explicit details, but I don't think it was like when the little car lady comes around and puts a fine on your windshield and it's like, you're just going to need to pay this at some point. It was, I think, pretty violent and pretty scary for people. So Paul was doing that. And he was throwing, um, he was arresting Christians and throwing them into jail. And so he's got this letter and he's going to go to Damascus. He's going to go to Syria and he's going to deal with the Christian community there. And on his way there, he has this amazing encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Like Paul has this crazy experience and he go like Jesus strikes him blind, basically. He kind of stumbles his way to Damascus and he had servants with him, so somebody helped him get there. But anyways, he's in Damascus, and then some God sends somebody to Paul to pray for him after a few days of time out to think about his choices. <laughs> he's sitting on the step. God put Paul on the step in a big way, and Saul who became Paul, he, he realized he had been fighting the wrong cause, basically. That he had got it all wrong about Jesus, that he had got it all wrong about what God wanted from people. And he had this amazing um, encounter with him. And I don't know what your encounters were like when you started following Jesus. Um, but when I started following Jesus, or what, what kind of was the, and I was really young, so it's not like I killed anybody or put anybody in prison. But I think if you have a real encounter with Jesus, you see yourself for what you really are, don't you? And it's actually quite bleak, and it can actually be quite scary, um, and it's quite dark. And I think when you, when, when the light of Jesus shines on you and you can see yourself as you are, even though you've kind of can maybe to a certain point compare yourself to the worst possible people you can think of and say, well, I'm not as bad as that, so I'm not that bad. 
actually when you meet Jesus, you see that actually you are bad. That is bad. You are bad. Like you are corrupted by sin. You see yourself for how um, it's not just about flaws. Like I like it's not just about the fact that maybe you you are like a little bit unself-disciplined. Like you see the hurt that you've caused people. And even if the thing might not be atrociously bad to, to your neighbor if you confessed it to God and you, when you're, when you're in that moment with Jesus, you see that it is horrific to him because it contributes to the death, the culture of death, and the, what's happening in the world, it's all contributing to that. And you're part of it. Like everything that you see in this world that's like this world is so broken, you see that actually I'm a contributing factor to this. And so then when you receive Jesus and you actually have an experience of being forgiven of that, like that, that is a transformational experience. That's not just like I thought this was a worthy cause, and now I think this is a worthy cause, so I've kind of jumped ship. This is not like I was young, and I kind of ascribed to these political ideas, but now I've seen the light, and I ascribe to this ideology instead. There's something else that happens inside of you that's like, I will do anything Jesus asked me to do, because I've seen myself from what I for what I really am, and he saved me from it. So this is the experience Paul has. He sees himself for what he really is. And he's, he's, he's so indebted to Jesus that in his later letters, when he's writing to churches, he says, I, Paul, a slave to Christ. And in some of our translations, it says things like bond servant or servant. But we know a servant can clock out, Right? Like, even in the Victorian days where you had servants who were, like, basically lifelong domestics, that's what they did. They had days off. They got paid. There's a difference between a servant and a slave, isn't there? But Paul says, I'm a slave to Jesus. Like, I, whatever he wants me to do, I'm going to do. Wherever he wants me to go, I'm going to go. Whatever he wants me to say, I don't have any other agenda for my life. I don't have any other hobbies. I don't have any other goals. I don't have any other desires. It's just Jesus all the time, every day, until I die, because I am indebted to him, and I feel it in the deepest part of myself. So Paul talks about himself as a slave, and he tells us when he's talking to, um, because in the, the time that Paul's talking, they still had slaves, and the Bible talks a lot about slaves, and Sometimes it can get a bit confusing because it's like, I thought slavery was bad, and I think slavery is bad. But in that context, it was just the thing, the dumb thing, the normal thing that everybody accepted as common practice. It was, this is what everybody did. And so um, Paul's saying, he's talking to some slaves, and he's like, if you find Jesus while you're a slave, don't worry about don't feel bad about being a slave because actually in, in Christ, in the spiritual sense, you are free. But then he talks to the free people and he says, actually, if you found Jesus while you were free, which all of us are, you're actually a slave to, to Jesus. This is what he says in Corinthians. So 
If you are with Jesus, you are like a slave to him. So Jesus says, you are free. And even Paul says, you are free. But he also says, you're a slave. So how can you be a slave and not a slave? That is the tension. Which is it? Are we slaves to Jesus or are we free? And I would say, yes. <laughs> um, but the how I think the, the clearest example of how to live in the tension of are we slaves or are we free is Jesus himself. And the, where the slave and the free man, the enfranchised man, the man who has property rights and a vote and you know everything that we think of what a free man has, authority in his community or her community to actually have a voice, to make a change, to make decisions, to buy property, everything that comes with being free. And also, none of that, which is part of being a slave, those are both true in a son or a daughter. But we don't know this because our culture is so much different than Jesus's culture when he's talking about sons and daughters. So in our culture, we have fathers who, if you have, if you have in the last 100 years, if your dad has been really switched on and loved you and been engaged in you, he's been killing himself in the mines so that you don't have to, right? Does anybody re resonate with that? Like if you have a switched on dad, if your dad is engaged, if he's loving you and pulling for your best, he's sacrificing, like this is true in India, isn't it? It's like very high pressure because the parents are sacrificing everything. They are killing themselves trying to give you a leg up in life so that you don't have to work the grunt jobs that they worked, that you can do better, that you can be a doctor, you can be an engineer, you can be a lawyer. You don't have to live hand to mouth. You can do better. That's our culture. That's our understanding of a good dad, isn't it? Is making sacrifices so that your kids can get out of a certain lifestyle and do better. We all agree with this, right? This is not Jesus's culture of father and sons. In Jesus's culture, it was not like that. What do you see Peter and John and James and Andrew doing when Jesus finds them? What are they doing? Fishing, which is what their dad did. And I imagine this is how it goes with fishing. Your grandpa, great-grandpa, scrapes up everything to buy a boat. Then he has a son. Now, instead of one fisherman, you have two fishermen, so you can do double the work, and you can buy, afford to buy two boats, correct? Then you have a son, and you can do three times the work. You can buy more boats. So I think in Jesus's context, a father may be acquired an asset from his father. This is very big in Jewish culture, that you leave a legacy for your children to build on. This is very, very important in their culture, that you work hard so that you can leave something for your child to build, so that you want to leave your child property for them to expand. You want to leave them a farm so that they can continue to expand the operation. You want to have sons because a son stays with the family and he can continue to kind of build that little empire. And that's how your family thrives, is not by your father 
working hard as a farmer so you don't have to be a farmer. The idea is that the farmer's son joins him in that labor and the farm gets bigger and more prosperous. Does that make sense? That's why they said when a father is a father in that culture, he shouldn't write out his will until he's on his deathbed because once you write out your will to, and you will property to your son and you have that written down, you can't sell any property because it now belongs to, even though it's your property, you've also included your son in the will and it's his property and you can't sell the property without him being included, right? Also, the son can't sell property and divide it up because... The father is still involved. This is what we see with Jesus' parable of the, of the um, two sons, of the prodigal son, right? That was a massive deal because the whole family, the whole extended family's livelihood is resting in that property that your family protects. Like God feels so strongly about it that even if you are in a dire, dire situation and you have to sell it off to another Israelite, after so many years, they have to restore it back to you because your family's livelihood is caught up in that. So this is the culture Jesus is talking about, sons, is not you go, your father works so that you can go live somewhere else in New York City and be a corporate lawyer and make money and you don't have to like do any grunt work. He wants you to be a partner with him in building what he wants to build. So do you see like how as a son, on some level, you're a slave? Because you are tied up in that property with your dad. But on another level, you're free. Like Jesus, when, Jesus, when he tells that parable and about the older son that didn't leave, he says to his son, everything I have belongs to you. And when you have grown-up children, when you have little children, you don't really let them make a lot of decisions. I don't even let Iron really decide what to wear because I want her to match me most of the time. <laughs> right, Miriam? <laughs> so when you're little, you don't get to make decisions, but as you grow and mature and your relationship with your father develops, he then gives you authority to decide this is what we're going to do with this. Like, you decide what we're going to do with this part of the property. You have these resources and decide what we're going to do with them. That's the relationship that God wants. Am I following a coherent line? Like, so in that sense, you are free. Like, God wants to give you authority to, to expand his kingdom on, on the earth. And he wants to resource it. He wants to pay for it. Like Paul says, he's not counting on us to, like, can between the 100 of us, can we come up with 10,000 pounds? Paul knows that God has given him authority to action his good plans on the earth and that God has all the money that we could ever need for everything and that God has given him authority to make those decisions and that he's going to resource it. So Paul's free. So as a... As, a, as a somebody without God, so Paul says um, in Corinthians, he's talking to the church, and he says, um, he says, if anybody came to Christ when they were free, they're a slave to Christ. And he says, but you were bought at a price, so do not go back and be slaves to men. 
If you do not, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're not walking with the Holy Spirit, if you're not in relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit because of Jesus's, um, because you believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross, if that's not your situation, then your only recourse is to do things um, according to the way broken humanity does it, right? That's the only way that you have to think about it. And in that sense, you know, people should be thinking about themselves, I guess. That's the least you can do. If you don't have God, yeah, I guess the least you can do is take responsibility for yourself and not lean on anybody else. So I think, you know, for the world, you know, they operate how they operate because they have no other recourse. They are an end to themselves. They can only, their life can only be what they can make of it. And that's the end. That's not the way it is in the, in the culture of the kingdom. We're slaves to Jesus, but we're free in Jesus. And that means we have authority and God's going to bless us and he's going to empower us to do the things that he wants to do on the earth, which are actually good things. That's why we don't have actual slavery in this country anymore. So as a, I'm just going to read this part, this um, passage to you in um, Philippians, which was written by Saul, who became Paul after he had his time out on the step. It's in Philippians chapter 2. So this is Jesus, the model for us. That's what Jesus is. Like, he, obviously, he's the king of kings and the lords of lords. But as far as his incarnation, his death and resurrection, Jesus is the model for what we should be on the earth and what our relationship with God should be. Not that we should never get married because Jesus didn't get married, but that's not what I'm talking about. But as far as regards his relationship to the Father, that's what the, the goal is. So in chapter 2, he says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind with Paul and with each other. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count, each, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant or slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow every in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So what Paul's saying is that, be like this. You are one with God. Like every spiritual blessing and really like 
so many, so many actual, like what we would, like tangible, physical things. Like God's blessed us so much. And he's, there's no end to it. Like you have, you are one with God and you have, like the Bible says that you are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Like we who wrecked the world and deserve punishment. Jesus died so that we didn't have to die for our sins. We didn't have to be punished. And then he makes us co-heirs with Jesus so that everything that God is wanting to give Jesus, he's also giving to us. So we are the wealthiest, wealthiest people who have ever lived and whoever will live. So we have everything and we're free. But Paul says that Jesus didn't take, even though Jesus is one with God, he is God, he didn't count that as something to hold on to, but he emptied himself, which I don't even fully understand. That's a mystery. He emptied himself and he made himself like a slave, like such like a slave that God said, I want you to go to the cross for these people. And Jesus said, if there's another way, I would like to do it another way, but I, I'll do it your way. So Jesus made himself like a slave to the Father, and yet he's also the most highly exalted one, and God is putting every nation and every principality under his feet. And Jesus is only getting, like, more blessed in that sense. Like, everything is going to come under Jesus' feet eventually. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. So... Jesus is our model in that he is completely free in it and, and empowered. And God has given him authority over all things. And that's what we are like, completely free, set free, and given authority over all things. We're not poor. We're not short of cash. And yet we're slaves because that's what... Jesus deserves is full allegiance, full devotion, because he did for us the thing we didn't deserve and that we could have never done by ourselves. So I think what I was just wanting to, us to close with today is just, I, I think for everybody, we're not all going to be Pauls, are we? We're not all going to be like living the life that exactly that Paul lived, right? We're not even, in, in essence, going to live exactly the way Jesus lived in the, like, day by day, because Jesus lived in a different time. He never got married. He never had kids. He died at 33. I'm 34 this year. So thanks to us old people. Um, a lot of us live past 33. So Jesus isn't saying that he wants us to be like... A, a carbon copy in that sense. But he does want us to be surrendered in the, to the degree that he was surrendered. And the kindness of God means that even though we sing, I surrender all, and we do not. <laughs> not in that moment. Right? 
We want to. Like, that's our, val- that's our value. That's our goal. We would like to surrender all. But the kindness of faithfulness of God is that he knows that that's going to happen in degrees. And he's going to help us. Like, if we submit to it, he will help us surrender more and more so that he can fill that space more and more. Because we don't just give up everything. We don't just deny self to no end. God fills the space where we make space for him. So all of us are at different stages. We have different circumstances. But all of us can surrender something today to God to make more space for him. All of us can surrender something this week. We can make a decision about that today to surrender something to make more space for God. So just in closing, I'm going to pray for us, but, and I'd just like to take a few moments just to like, just sit in it and ask God, what, what, what can we give up to make more space for you, to be more focused on you, to be more devoted to you, to be more aligned to your purpose, to be more like the son who's like committed to the father's business. And the son that knows that he has access to the father's stuff. And that he has authority to make good use of it. So, Father, I just pray for us this morning. And I just ask, God, I just thank you for your kindness and your patience with us. That even though we sing that we are surrendering all, that you are everything that we need and... um, All we want, God, we sing that, and we want to mean it so much in the time that we sing it, but we know, God, that you are abiding with us as we abide in you, that you're drawing close as we draw close to you, and that your word says that you are working in us, your Holy Spirit is working in us to give us the power and the desire to do the things that please you, and it's happening every day as we take up our cross and follow Jesus. And so, God, we just ask today, as individuals and as a church, what more can we surrender to Jesus who is worthy? And God, we ask that you help us, that you reveal those things to each of us individually, that um, God, those areas that um, where things are just cluttering up space, they're just taking up space that you could be occupying and blessing and multiplying and making fruitful and making alive. God, those things where we're just like kind of We've got these like little junk drawers of our hearts where things just kind of accumulate and we don't even know, but all of a sudden we just look in this drawer full of rubbish and we just don't even know what to do with it. We just ask God that you clean out some of those spaces in our hearts and make more room for you and more room for your power, more room for your love, more room for your spirit that shows us who Jesus really is, that he is worthy, that stirs up real love and genuine affection in our hearts. Jesus, that's what we want. We want to take stuff out that we don't need, that is just taking up space, that is useless, and we want that space to be filled with you. So, Father, we just ask today, each of us, that you would give us a deep conviction about an area of our life where we need to surrender, where we need to make more space for you. And, um, Jesus, we just love you, and we worship you, and we thank you that you have done the hardest part that we could never do so that we can enjoy the favor of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Wow. 
I, going back to the phone thing we were talking about a few weeks ago with Ryan, I think for some of us it's that whole thing of just what we naturally go to and what we default to is like picking up the phone, checking it, like hold on a minute. And but there's a lot more, isn't there? I think it's that Jesus, will you search me and know me and have a good look in my heart? Lord, let me see what it is you want me to budge out the way to make room for you. Yeah, Jesus, we want you to fill the place with your glory. Fill our hearts with your glory. Fill our community of the prayer house with your glory. We want that kingdom culture to be absolutely saturated with your glory and your presence, Lord. Jesus, we want to live in that environment where the supernatural is just like popping out all over the place, just because it's a place where you're happy to be. When you come into our homes, there are a place where you want to be. You want to be sitting with us and spending time with us, Lord. God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this was a blessing to you. Our desire and prayer is that we all live a life even more fully surrendered to Jesus and his mission. Once again, a quick reminder about our baptism service on the 17th of September. If you'd like to speak to someone about that, email connect at prayerhouse.uk. If you have been blessed by this episode and would like to support the work of Prayer House Online, you can financially do that by going to our website prayerhouse.uk forward slash give. It's prayerhouse.uk forward slash give. It's also the same place that you can pay your tithes and offerings as well. We just want to bless everyone who's been giving financially and we pray that God will multiply every seed that you have sown into his kingdom. Till we see again, we hope that you are inspired every day to live a life fully surrendered to Jesus and his mission. God bless.